Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 311 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you so much for joining us. This week on the show, I am joined by Allison McCaig and Steve Saipa to talk about the Manny Machado signing, the beginning of spring training, and more. So let's dig in. Well, uh, it finally happened. One of the two big free agents of the offseason signed. Today, Manny Machado signed a reported 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. The deal has an opt-out after the fifth year, and it seems like it is going to be the beginning of the sort of wave of free agent signing that has been predicted for this whole time, You know, just waiting for one of the big dominoes to fall. So I guess just overall, let's talk about the deal first. What do you guys think of Machado getting a 10-year $300 million contract. And I'm going to start with you, Allison, because I know that you have a uh, a soft spot for Mr. Machado. My heart is so full, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy that my boy got paid, my Baltimore son got paid, and I couldn't be more happy about it. I am over the moon. Someone asked me today, like, would you have really been happy if the Mets had done this? And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I would have been over the moon if the Mets had done this. Um, he deserves it, in my opinion, every penny of it. Um, yeah, I think he's worth it. I think actually of the two, I mean, I think they both deserve to be paid, but of the two major free agents in Harper and Machado, if I had to like place my uh, financial bets as to which one is more likely to live up to his value over the course of the entire contract, I would pick Machado over the two. So. Steve, what do you think of the deal? Um. I mean, I'm surprised that it's San Diego of all places, but they do have a decent farm system, so their future might be a bit more brighter than it is right now. And Machado, adding Machado to the mix is certainly going to help. And um, not that I thought that in the market he would get, you know, $40 million or anything like that, but I'm surprised that it was only like 30 I mean, Trout is the only position player that's making more, but you figure with, you know, inflation and everything else that he would be making the same as Trout. I think that Trout is a better player all around, obviously, but I'm just a little surprised that it's for as quote-unquote little as it is. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting place to sort of come at this from. I, I, don't, I think I'm probably less high on Machado than, than some. I, I like him as a player, obviously. Um, but I think that I think he's certainly an imperfect player, and as as is Harper, there are very few players that I think are on their surface worth the the quote like biggest contract in baseball players, right? Like I think that unless you're Mike Trout or maybe Nolan Arenado, I don't know if there's a position player that I would feel super confident giving a ten year deal to, just because ten year deals tend to be bad decisions overall but that said i think that machado and harper both are so young and so naturally talented that the deal makes a lot of sense but like steve said i'm sort of surprised that it's only for 30 million a year um what sort of a world do we live in that we're surprised when someone's only making 30 million dollars a year to play baseball it's pretty crazy um does this change things for San Diego this year? I don't think so. I mean, 
I think like if they hit their ceiling, they move into the wild card conversation. But that's like if one hundred percent of things go their way. That's my opinion. Yeah, you know, because the National League East is going to be so tough, and because the National League Central has improved so much this offseason, I think it would be really shocking if there's a wild card coming from the West. And I think that they have not done enough to catch the Dodgers or the Rockies this offseason. So this this really does look like a long-term investment for them, which is a good thing. Like I, I think this is a way smarter signing if they're not trying to win this year. You know, rarely does a right. big free agent signing lead to immediate success in the uh, in the short term. So th- I think it's a good thing for them if they're really trying to build their team up. But I could see people sort of getting pissy a year from now saying, you know, where did that $30 million go? What what good is that contract? And, and there's sort of being some built-in resentment if they don't make substantial strides forward this coming year. I think you're Mets Twitterizing the San Diego fan base a little too much, perhaps. That's probably true. (laughs) That is probably true. I think they're a little more chill out there on the West Coast. But, I mean, yeah, any fan base would be frustrated if you have this really, really, like, high moment of signing the most important free agent and then, like, nothing comes of it for at least a little while. Yeah, there is definitely a letdown that comes with that. But I think that, you know... Like Steve said, they have a bunch of prospects coming through the pike that they seemed completely unwilling to part with right. um, this offseason because they were fielding, you know, like they were getting offers for them, um, but they said no. Um, and I think that they have a long-term vision, and that's why they didn't want to part with any of them. So, and Really, I'm looking at their depth chart right now. It's actually not that bad of a team right now. And adding Machado and then like a big prospect like Tatis Jr., actually really should make a major difference. And they have Eric Hosmer first, who's, you know, eh, but he's, he's solid. Passable. He's a, he's a, he's a major league player. Ian Kinsler second major league player. Now they'll have Machado at shortstop. They don't have anyone major at third base right now, but you add Tatis Jr. into the mix in a year or two, maybe, you know, maybe this upcoming year, but definitely, you know, two years at the, at the minimum. Austin Hedges is catcher, eh, but you know, not not you know, catchers are catchers. Uh, in the outfield, you have Margot, you have Myers. You know, it it's a solid uh, Renfro. It's a solid team. When and then when you add those two guys in, that's like actually pretty good. Their rotation is terrible, but I was going to say they need some pitching. Yeah. Yeah. When Jonathan Lucchese is there, uh, you, when when he's your ace, it's not looking good. <laughs> Yikes. That's a that's 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 a name. Yikes. <laughs> Something that I I'm really fascinated about in the Machado sort of story of the last three or four months is how big of a deal do you two make of his supposed um, attitude problem? Because I think that there's to me, there's a really interesting line on the sand here. I never believed he had an attitude problem or was a a troublemaker or anything like that until he basically tried to break someone's ankle at first base twice. To me, that's when it became a little bit worrisome that that happened. Um, but how 
how much pause would that give you guys if you were making a decision here to bring in somebody who has a a, a deserved or not reputation for being a bit of a a tough guy to play with? I mean, you know, I I've I've ranted about this on Twitter on several occasions. I think that I'm not going to make excuses for the couple of incidents that he's had that were not good. Um, but I think that the spotlight being on him in the playoffs really changed the narrative because having watched him since 2013 in Baltimore, he had, he had a couple of issues when he was super young coming up, but he seemed to simmer down a lot and he really didn't have too many issues throughout his career in Baltimore. And actually his teammates have had nothing but good things to say about him in the clubhouse. Right. So I think that I give that a little more weight than the small sample size of the playoffs. And I also think that media loves to spin narratives. And I think that we need to keep in mind the whole big picture of this off season and where free agency is gone and the motivation that ownership groups have to suppress salaries um, has made this narrative more than it is. That's my take. Steve, when you are around a 300 hitter that hits 30 home runs and you're not even 26 yet, whatever attitude you want to have is fine with me because (laughs) I really don't give a shit. That's fair. I mean, one of my favorite players in baseball history is Sal Magley, and his nickname was the Barber because he'd throw, you know, in at at players. And that, you know, this is not a popular opinion, but I, you know, I like that aspect of the game. I don't care about. Well, that sounds a little callous to say I don't care about their physical well-being, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you want them to shoot up steroids game. and hit each other and everything else, right? <laughs> But it's part, it's a physical game, you know, sometimes guys smash into each other. Oh, well, sometimes guys get a little, um, sometimes they get a little overanxious or not overanxious, overambunctious and, and they, you know, slide into guys on purpose. Oh, well, that's part of the game. Sure. And I think that, I think that we need to reevaluate when these things play into these decisions more than like domestic violence accusations, oh, for example. You will get it's no like, argument from me over you know. that. You know, that is that is a totally different situation. Um, when we're not thinking that Addison Russell has a character problem, but Manny Machado right, somehow has right. a character problem. That's where I take sure. issue. And like I said, to me, it's really just the trying to take out somebody's ankle at first base. For no real reason. That's the those are the ones that would give me pause. But I think I think we're all pretty much saying the same thing. To me, that's not a reason not to sign somebody. Um now I also understand though, if you are giving a player, you know, ridiculous money and you're expecting them to be the face of your franchise, you have to be prepared to answer all the questions that come along with that. So I understand from like a public relations standpoint why you want to make sure you have a conversation with the dude before you sign him so that you're not spending the next 10 years running interference for him. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes. And I think that I think that that is a good reason to I, I don't think that these these attitude problems or whatever you want to call them with Machado are reasons not to sign him. I do think that they are reasons to have good guys and coaching staff around him because 
part of the reason why this, I feel like, didn't come out on a national level when he was playing in Baltimore. Part of it was the spotlight, but the other part of it was his level of respect for Buck Showalter and how much he wanted to play for him. And I think that, you know, while these things, these intangibles are often not talked about or, you know, they're often given more weight than they deserve. I don't think that they deserve a huge amount of weight, but I think that Manny Machado is the type of guy that's going to need to have an experienced coaching staff and is going to have some, going to need to have some, you know, veteran presence TM (laughs) on the team to, you know, help with that. Because while he's going to be the superstar and he's going to be like on the front of all your, all your tickets and everything like that, going to sell all the jerseys, yada, yada. He's not the media PR guy. He's not the David Wright type that answers questions from the media. He's not the guy you're going to want in that role. And I think whatever, you know, the Padres need to be aware of that. And I'm sure that they're aware of that. So, you know, he's just, he's the type of guy who's the superstar, but he doesn't speak to the media. He has good relationship with the fan base though. He actually is out there signing autographs like all the time, goes to all the events. He's good about that stuff, but he's not going to be the guy you want answering questions after a particularly heated game or whatever. (laughs) Um. How pissed must the White Sox be right now? They seem very mad online. I mean, they brought in the guy's brother-in-law. <laughs> That's how confident they were in the fact that they were signing him. They, like, reunited his crew for him and uh, offered him a higher average annual value and offered him, and the contract was for less years and would be worth $50 million more if all the um, options were vested and whatnot. And he turned him down for the Padres. I would think that, I mean, look, it's all business, and I do not begrudge Machado for taking the deal that he felt was better for him, but how much must it suck for the White Sox right now? (laughs) I mean, their fan base is understandably upset, Um, but, you know, if I'm their front office, I can't act so shocked that the guy wants guaranteed, more guaranteed money. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Clearly he doesn't like his brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enjoy Yonder Alonzo and John Jay. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty epic troll move. It really is. <laughs> to get a team to hire your buddies and then not sign with them. Your shitty buddies and not sign with them. <laughs> I mean, that that was their choice to do that. I that don't think Randy Machado was out there saying, if you bring Yonder Alonso in, then I'm all <laughs> No, but you know that they, they thought they were geniuses for that. Oh, yeah, they definitely did that because of that. It's good sure. outside the box thinking, but didn't not work. Yeah. Um I was going to ask you, Brian, so do you think, to bring this back to sort of a Mets-adjacent thing, because this obviously, you know, changes the NL East picture a little bit, so do you think that, you know, Harper to the Phillies is like a guarantee now, or do you think that it's like, now that there are like spurned former Machado suitors might come in and swoop in and be part of the picture? Well, it's funny. I think the Phillies... Funny is the wrong word. It's interesting. I think that the Phillies are, I mean, if the Phillies weren't in the Mets division, I would feel really good about the Phillies this year. Uh, but I'm trying to remain hopeful for the Mets. I think the Phillies have had a very good offseason. I think that the Phillies have a really good young core, and they have supplemented that quite nicely 
this offseason. I don't think that Harper is going to make as much of a difference in Philadelphia as he will make elsewhere um, in terms of bringing a team from a X number of wins to a playoff number of wins, right? I, I think that he will make an already good team better, but I don't know if his signing will have the same impact that it would have on, say, the White Sox or um, I guess the White Sox are the other sort of big big team left in this um you know so i i would i would think that on one hand the phillies he really put the phillies over the top in their own eyes uh but i think that the white Sox now are pissed off enough to blow him away with an offer and that would be great for the well, let's hope yeah exactly hope so because i mean i i mean i said earlier in the show that i think of the two players, they're both great players. I think of the two players, I slight my slightly biased opinion is that I think Manny Machado is the better player. However, the idea of Bryce Harper in Citizens Bank Park is not a comforting idea to me as a Mets fan because he's going to hit like a million dingers in Citizens Bank Park if he signs there. Yes, he will. And <laughs> um, I also think that Machado is a better player overall, but I think that. Harper seems to be a player that will like I could see being a fan of a team. I'm trying to think of a, of a player that is good that doesn't kill my team. Like Freddie Freeman kills the Mets, right? Yeah. And I think that Bryce Harper will be the Freddie Freeman of the Phillies. But Machado might put up a better overall season, but I, I don't see him for some reason as the same like gonna kill my team 19 times a year type player. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I can see that. You'd have to ask the other AL members of the AL East if they feel that way. Exactly. From Machado's career in the AL East. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you guys think that if the Phillies do wind up with Harper, that they are now the frontrunners in the division? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we shouldn't sleep on Atlanta, but I think I that think puts that them over the top. I agree. I think Atlanta is being underrated by most of the projection systems. That's my opinion. Um, I mean, I don't think that they are the current division favorites, um, but like every projection has them in like the low 80s wins. And I don't I think that's low on them. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, you know, trying to leave Homerism aside here, I think that the Mets by far have the best rotation of the Phillies, Braves, and Mets. Like, with without question, the Mets have a better rotation. I think with what they've done this offseason, the Mets probably have the best bullpen of those three teams as well. I think that the Mets lineup one through eight is probably right up there with those other teams. And so you 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 might have... I don't know. I don't think the Mets are that far behind the Phillies, even if the Phillies sign Harper. I could see it. I'm trying to be optimistic here. I think Chris that, is usually the optimist. Chris is here I think, tonight, so. <laughs> I think, like, replacing Vargas in the rotation would go a long way toward yes. me feeling that way. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's like that one last thing to me. Because, like... It, 
right now we're one injury away from you know Vargas fourth starter and Corey Oswald fifth starter and that does not inspire confidence to me the rest of the team you know I feel pretty good about it but and and the bench is eh, okay and we'll get to that when we talk about (laughs) Adenia Echevarria but you know yeah I think that like the NLEs teams are just insanely clustered and it does make me nervous that like Harper does put the Phillies over the top because they're all in this little cluster yeah of being very similar. I think the Mets could still sign a, a starting pitcher relatively cheaply. I hope it's Dallas Keuchel. Even though I'm not a huge cool. I'm not a huge Keuchel fan. I don't think Keuchel is all that great of a pitcher. I think he's a good pitcher. I don't think he's the best pitcher on the market or anything like that, but I think they could get him for a cheap enough price that I would be instantly a fan. And that really lengthens the rotation. And I think you could probably also bring in a. Like, it seems to me like Gio Gonzalez or a player of his ilk is going to sign a minor league deal someplace. So sign Gio too. Like bring in another another minor leaguer or two to to fight for that sixth starter spot. Find someone who will who will log. Gio getting a minor league deal will be. Something. I, I I mean I know that sounds crazy, but have you heard anything about about him lately? Mm-mm. The, Bre- no, the Brewers were the, interested. Yeah, the last time I heard anything about him was the Mets. The last time I heard anything about him was when the, like, he wanted the second year from the Mets and they didn't want to do it. So, I don't know. But I would think that like, considering Jason Vargas got what he got, Geo should get a similar. Yeah, but that was last year. Everything's different now, right? That's what they, they keep saying. I don't know if I, I believe it. That's what they keep saying. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? All these dudes having to take NRIs is still a problem, regardless of Manny Machado signing everybody. Yeah. It free agency is not fixed now. It's not I keep seeing those takes on Twitter and they're making me mad. They're like, ooh, like the like, you know, condescending, like, oh, I thought there was collusion. But I you know free agency is still pretty screwy, everyone. It's not just because Manny Machado signed one contract doesn't mean that it's fixed. Just because you have one cold day outside doesn't mean that there's not climate change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was some pretty bad things other today. Just thinking about that dude holding yep. the snowball in Congress. Like, there's no climate change. That's that's the same thing as these yeah. Twitter takes. Um, let, let's talk about the Mets bench for a minute. The Mets added uh, a player on a minor league contract with a uh, invite to spring training. And that player, as Allison mentioned, is Danny Hechevarria, uh, a glove first shortstop. And that is probably the kindest way we can describe his offensive ability. Um, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, a, a true backup shortstop, which some said the Mets needed. Uh, Steve, I want to start with you. Do you think this is a, a good move? If so, why? If not, why not? I mean, it, makes the team in a vacuum it makes the team better sure so it's a good move but i it's kind of a pointless move at the same time because the existence of luis guillerme who is the exact same player that echevria is you could make the case that you know echevria has major league experience such that it is so you know you he's more of a guarantee than 
Guillerme, who doesn't have, you know, or has very limited um, major league experience. But honestly, I, I feel like Guillerme's upside is higher. Not that it's, you know, up in the clouds or anything like that, but as compared to Echeverria, anyway. At least Guillerme, he has a, has a very, has always shown a very decent eye at the plate and has always kind of had a, a very strong strikeout to walk ratio. And his performance last year in the limited time that he had in the majors, it didn't exactly impress anyone, obviously. But I think that he really got screwed by BAPIP. And, you know, if his average is up a little bit, his, uh, you know, his good eye will take over and he'll put up a fairly good walk rate for a backup infielder. And, you know, we're not, you don't really ask for much from guys like that, but a guy that could, you know, draw some walks and play very good defense is, you know, going above and beyond, and that's exactly what Luis Guillaume does. Allison, do you have any particularly strong opinions on this? Yeah, so I agree with Steve in the sense that in the vac- in a vacuum, I think it's a good move, be- just because more depth is always good, and obviously Bertie Van Wagen has been preaching depth this entire offseason. And so if the plan is just for him to be, you know, in Syracuse in case Rosario hurts himself and is out for like a prolonged period to have him be ready to go to play everyday shortstop in, in an emergency, then I think it's fine. But I think that, you know, and there's some like rumblings and maybe this is just me being too haunted by ghosts of Mets past. But to me, it seems like they went out to dinner with him. The incentive is higher than I thought for him. And so it kind of makes me think that their intent is to roster him from from spring training, like for him to start on the 25-man roster. And to me, that's a little bit problematic um, in the sense that he doesn't really fit in well with the Mets' like roster construction to be a bench player because like these glove first guys aren't, you know, really meant to be bench players. And so then you kind of have a whole bench that's just those guys. Because then the bench is like Ligaris and Broxton and Echeverria and your backup catcher. So in this case, it would be Travis Darno. So who are you bringing in when the Phillies are putting Sir Anthony Dominguez in there and you need a pinch hitter? All those guys are going to strike out like every time. (laughs) (laughs) Like you need, I don't know. It's just, it seems like the Mets bench then becomes like all glove first, no good, like, guy that you can use to pinch hit in a big situation type of guys because you can't put your backup catcher in every time to pinch hit at the first opportunity because then it becomes an issue with you know positioning and stuff like that so I don't know it just seems like a weird fit but if the intent is just for him to be there in case Rosario hurts himself and then he's the everyday shortstop then yeah sure sure um, like Steve said, a little bit redundant with Guillaume. It would be unfortunate that Guillaume wouldn't get that shot. But, you know, the more bodies you have, the better, I suppose. Sure. So in that regard, it's fine. From a depth perspective, it's fine. But if your intent is to roster him, then I have bench questions. The the bench is, is interesting because I, I definitely hear what you're saying, Allison, about not wanting a bench full of just, you know, defensive replacements, essentially. You want a couple of hitters on there. And the Mets roster, as it stands, looks like it's going to have a couple of guys that, if they were like 10% worse, would be a great bench bat. 
Like if Jeff McNeil had a slightly yeah. shittier 2018, he'd be a really good bench piece. But nobody wants to see that now because Jeff McNeil had too good of a rookie season. Um, similarly, I think like Jed Lowry is probably a really good super sub on some teams, but he's probably playing third base every day for the Mets. So aside from J.D. Davis, I don't see anybody on the major league roster who would be that offensive first pinch hitter. And that's a problem. I mean, if 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 Peter Alonso breaks camp with the team, then it's Todd Frazier. And then then it becomes a lot then the picture becomes a lot better for me as far as like a balanced bench is concerned. And that's part of the reason why I'm very much in favor of Peter Alonso being the starting first baseman. But yes, you know, there's that that's a, an entirely different thing. Yeah. But you know, Todd Frazier is theoretically that guy. Yes. Again, if he had a slightly worse 2018. It could be more easily justified. Um, but right now, he's the first baseman, I guess? Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know. He is, yeah. I think that we're not going to see McNeil until June. And that's insane, but that's that's the way I think. You mean Alonso? I mean, sorry, Alonso, yes. Alonso until June. Right. Which is dumb. Oof. But. Yeah, it is dumb. I could see it happening. Yes, Dom. And that actually transitions us really well into what we were going to sort of close out today talking about. I asked Allison and Steve to each pick a player they were particularly interested in watching during spring training to sort of talk about why they are their guy for the spring. So, Steve, you mentioned that Peter Alonso is your guy. So what are you looking for him? What do you want him to do this spring? What are you particularly looking out for? Uh, Well, his... Biggest weakness, I, I don't really want to call it a weakness because it wasn't a major thing or anything like that, but it was kind of off-speed pitches and stuff that was, you know, junk that was kind of down and away. And he's shown up in camp, and his swing is a bit changed, and he shorted the ball, and combined with his bat speed already, that gives him better ability to cover, you know, the lower down and away quadrant of the plate. And if he could shore up his, you know, biggest quote-unquote weakness, that will do wonders for his average and his ability to tap into his raw power. And he's a guy that, going back to, you know, his time in college and then when he was drafted and coming up in Brooklyn and then St. Lucie, he was always came off as a very coachable guy and you would see very tangible results from that coaching uh you know the biggest night and day point is the mids mid june i guess it is two seasons ago when he was in saint lucy and he got he broke his hand at the beginning of the year i think it was like the sixth game or something like that so he was out for a month and then he came back and he was kind of struggling and he worked with chad Kreuter, who is the manager down there and, the, you know, they changed kind of tinkered with his swing a little bit. They kind of worked on the mental aspects of the game, like preparing yourself better for at-bats and things like that. And then he had a monster second half. And then all season, um, all season last year, obviously, he was a monster. And he adjusted to, you know, double-A pitching. And he was brought up to triple-A. He scuffled a little bit at first, but then he got better. So you could see him adjusting there. And 
same thing now in spring training. I could see him, you know, making those adjustments and adjusting now to major league pitching. And no one had any, you know, real questions about his power. It's 80 raw. And if he's able to manifest it, which I believe that he will be, that's going to be a really good player. And definitely not someone that you want to see brought up in June. How bad is his defense going to be? Uh, it's, I don't know. It, it's a weird thing, Alonzo's defense. Like, I always struggle explaining it because it's like, as a first base, like, you're just looking at regular first base defense. Obviously, the bar for first baseman defense is not very high. He's below that bar just on a regular day. But he just makes weird mistakes sometimes that nobody, no professional player, no guy that has played in high school and college and years as a professional should be making. Like, he'll just misjudge fly balls just out of the blue. He'll just be out of position during plays out of the blue. Sounds like Daniel Murphy. (laughs) Yeah, like, he kind of has defensive yips. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but... And... So like he'll make he'll make the plays, you know, nine times out of ten, whatever it is. And he'll give you, you know, sufficient defense at first base, whatever, but then he'll make those boneheaded things, you'll just be like, What is what is happening right now? And it happens more, I guess, than you'd want it to happen, because you know, every but not not everybody's always attentive during games. You know, you, you can't have razor sharp focus on every single play of every single game during a 362-season sport. But it happens enough that you're just like, what is going on with this guy? What is? Why does he do these things? So, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully, that's something that he can get better at, too. I, f- I feel also like, because it's something that happens and we talk about it, it kind of gets overblown a little bit. Sure. It's yeah. not like It's not like every single play he's bungling and you're like, what is this guy doing? But... You know, it happens enough that it's always on the periphery. Do you think? I mean, that... for what it's worth, Mickey Calloway talked up his defense improve his defensive improvements, shall we say? I think I forget who tweeted it, but you know, somebody said that Mickey Calloway was saying, "Oh, he looks so much better." But... Right. That's that's what makes I think describing his defense kind of hard to describe. <laughs> yeah, because like, I was gonna say, if the... like if it's in game fuck ups that he's always going to look good in spring training. Right. I mean, I I, I don't want to, like, armchair. I, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, one of the things that mm-hmm. I did. Like, I don't want to be an armchair psychologist, but one of the things when he was kind of having problems with hitting was saying that he was, like, thinking too much and that was screwing him up. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him make, like, really good plays, like reaction plays, things like that. And, you know, maybe the the process of like you know preparing himself for each play and he overthinks it and that screws him up like it, it did with hitting at a point you know I don't, I don't know i don't know yeah but you know it 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 isn't as good when people say like oh it's improving he's a good defend well no one says he's a good defender but when people the say like, organization okay, you know, it's improving did. it'll <laughs> right well <laughs> the Mets organization also said that matt harvey is fine and carlos Beltran is fine. that is true so, um <laughs> But like things like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, I just find it very hard to quantify because of just the random, like, 
yip interference that just out of the blue will just happen. Yip interference, I like. So, that. like, yes, yeah, like the things that's that like are a whole new metric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yip interference. Y- yip, yip factor. Yeah. <laughs> Yf. <laughs> <laughs> but like the things, like the measurable things that first baseman always, you know, have to display with range, footwork, glove work, whatever. Like he has improved in that regard. So in that sense, yes, he's improving. But then when you when you factor in his yip factor, then that's when it gets muddy. Right. Okay. Um, so my my guy this spring is Jeff McNeil. And it's really just in one category. And that's just to watch him play the outfield. And and just see if Jeff McNeil outfielder is an experiment that's going to work at all because i i could see this being a situation much like the aforementioned daniel murphy or the oft forgotten lucas duda outfielder experiments that happened where it's just a a total nightmare and does not work at all the problem with that is if that is a total nightmare i honestly don't know if mcneil plays much in 2019 because you're not going to get cano off second base you're not going to get Frazier or Alonso off of first base. Your Jed Lowry's going to be playing third, and McNeil is not a shortstop. And even if he was, the Mets really need to see what they have from Ahmed Rosario this season. So we're talking McNeil now as super sub, and super sub is going to get considerably less at bats than left fielder Jeff McNeil or. As some are saying, center fielder Jeff McNeil, which seems crazy to me to put a guy who's never played the outfield before <laughs> in center yeah. field, but you know, people are saying it. So to me, that is, I have no doubt that McNeil can hit. He strikes me as the type of guy who is just a really natural contact hitter. And so I'm not so worried about his hitting ability. I'm worried about his ability to not be the worst outfielder on a team full of some pretty already questionable outfielders. Do you guys have any hope for this experiment? Uh, I I mean, he'll be a better airfielder than Duda, but the bar is not very high to be a better airfielder <laughs> than Duda. No, Steve, I, I think, think you might be a better airfielder be... than Duda. <laughs> I think that he will be a better airfielder than Daniel Murphy was. I think that he is more athletic and is more um like quick, quick twitch fast, you know. Uh, which will serve him in the outfield well. But I don't know. Yeah, it's putting a lot of pressure on, you know, it's putting a, a lot of pressure to learn the position to basically, you know, it's like rewarding him with at-bats for something that, you know, he's kind of doesn't have much control over. Either he's going to be, a, a you know, a passable outfielder or he's not. You can learn certain aspects of outfielding is that a verb outfielding sure but sure <laughs> but you know if he's not great of an outfielder that's not really on him not everybody can do everything and then you're taking right. away at bats from him which is a not you know in a vacuum not fair but b not good for the team because he is a good bat so i don't know it just it, it wasn't a good not a good situation. Lowry, uh, the signing, I don't know. It didn't really make sense because of McNeil. He's a good player. He makes the team better, but 
It's like strengthening a strength. Yes. Yes. Uh, and Allison, who was your guy to watch this spring training? So for me, it's uh, Michael Conforto, uh, just because um, most of last spring, I mean, I know that he came back um, and was, you know, active during spring training um, and his timeline was a little quicker perhaps than it should have been now in retrospect. Um, but, you know, it took him a whole half a season really to get going because he was recovering from the shoulder surgery. So I really want to see how he looks coming into camp for presumably, hopefully, a fully healthy season this year. Um, it's, you know, the first time that he'll be, you know, established as a potential star and also fully healthy at the same time. So, you know, it's a big, it's a big sort of season for Conforto, I think. And a lot of the Mets offense and how well the team does as a whole will ride or die with how well Conforto does and whether he is just, you know, okay, or whether he's like the star that I think all of us think he can be. So um, I'm really keeping an eye on Conforto. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the slash line itself during spring training means virtually nothing. That's not what I'm concerned about. I want to see that he looks healthy. I want to see that he's hitting prodigious bombs and that the power is there. Um, because I think that that's what was concerning about the shoulder is just like it zapped a lot of his power in the first half. Um, like his ISO was nowhere near what we knew that it should be from his all-star season. So um, I'm looking for the power. I'm looking for him to look healthy. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at Conforto. Um, some people, including recent podcast guest, Eno Saros, are, are really high on him this year. think he could be a breakout candidate of the highest order. And that would be such a nice thing for the Mets for so many reasons. Um, I'm putting you guys kind of on the spot here, but I'm going to ask one last question to wrap up, which is who is the player you're not worried at all about this spring? That if it's a pitcher and they get shelled or as a position player and they go, you know, three for 80, who, who do you feel good enough about that you're not worried at all? Allison, we'll start with you. I guess I'll take the low hanging fruit and say DeGrom. I mean, okay. <laughs> if, if he gets shelled at a spring training start, I'm not concerned about it um i mean Degrom is you know cy young award winner best one of the best pitchers in baseball if not the best right now um i mean obviously there are always concerns about like if he if he leaves the start in pain then i'll be concerned but right. as far i'm not in like, pure performance here yeah i'm like if he has a crappy spring i don't care i'm not concerned about that at all steve what about for you i'm gonna go with cano um, I mean, he had the steroid suspension and everything last year, but it was still 80 games that he got into, which is a pretty big chunk of the season, almost half of it. And he hit 300 as a 35-year-old. He hit 280 as a 34-year-old, 298 as a 33-year-old. So I don't think that as a 36-year-old this season, much is going to change in regards to his ability to hit. So if it takes him a little while to get on track, you know, new team, New time zone, new everything, you know, whatever. I think that he's going to be good. Yeah, that's a good... And also, he, he's a veteran. He knows what he's doing in spring training. He's not pushing himself too hard, which is a good thing, you know. Um, Unless you're Manny Machado. Yes, of course. 
I am just waiting for Mets Twitter to erupt the first time Cano doesn't sprint down to first on a clear ground out. Jesus Christ. Uh. Yep. Strap in, folks. It's going to be a long five years. Um, I, I guess for me, the person I'm not worried about is um, Jed Lowry, because I think that Lowry is the type of player that he might have a month during the season where he doesn't look like he's doing all that much, but he's so consistent and he's so versatile that I think Lowry is going to be an incredibly valuable and versatile player for this team. So I don't think that that if, if he goes, you know, unnoticed all spring, that's probably just fine. Yeah. Um, are any of us making the trek to St. Lucie this year? I'm not. I wish no. I was. <laughs> are you Steve? No, uh, it's not on the plans. Yeah. If I did, maybe it'd be during the season next year. Okay. To see the St. Lucie Mets, but yeah, not this year. This year, I'm actually tomorrow. They're going on sale. I'm getting tickets for Columbia. Oh, okay. Nice. Oh, nice. Do you have a weekend in mind you're going? June. It's the, the 9th, 9th to the 16th. Okay. Which is right before the first half of the season ends. So okay. it'll kind of be good because anyone who's down there, you know, they usually do promotions and stuff around the end of the of the first half and the beginning of the second half. So there should hopefully be a mixture maybe of guys that are going to be going up to St. Lucie that are still there, guys that, you know, have just come up, you know, from extended spring training, whatever. So, yeah. Possibly even 2019 draft picks that signed early and got assigned. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I have an uncle who lives in Port St. Lucie. So it kills me every spring when I don't plan a trip down there. But <laughs> it's not in the cards for this year for a number of reasons, unfortunately. Um, but by the time, by the next time we do a podcast, the Mets will have played spring training games. And that's a good thing. Baseball. It's glorious. Baseball. <laughs> well, folks, that is it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Please go to amazingavenue.com where we are currently doing our season previews for various players within the Mets organization, as well as your Mets morning news and some other fun stuff. So please go there. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, your pad catcher of choice. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out quite a bit. You can email the show, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. We would love to have your questions. Hopefully next week we'll answer some of them. And you can follow the contributors here on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Allison is at Petite PhD. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. By the time you hear us talk again, the Mets will be playing some spring training games. Maybe they'll have signed the new starting pitcher. Hint, hint, hint. And, um... Yeah, we'll be one step closer to opening day. And so, until next time, let's go Mets.